0: tell all the hunters to put down their guns cause what the tiger needs
1: is a little bit of love I saw a tiger now I understand I saw a tiger and the tiger saw a man There
0: your old chuckle buddy, Kazoo, Jonathan James Ramcharan, reporting live for duty on this magnificent April 18th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Everything was fine, just as sweet as wine, till her husband went and disappeared. Something, 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 something. Bad pussy around here. Hey kitty, kitty, hey kitty, kitty. Mama's got something for you. Here, kitty, kitty, here, kitty, kitty. This taste you can't find in no zoo. Nothing but tiger trap.
1: My name's Joe Exotic, and I'm going to tell you right now, to all my fans, to all my haters, to any motherfucker out there, all right, if you come to the GW Zoo on my property against my will, I guarantee goddamn to you, I'm putting a cap in your ass, motherfucker, and if you come back, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. I love tigers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, you know what I love about that song?
1: Um, I saw a
0: tiger, now I understand. I saw a
1: tiger, I saw a tiger,
0: and the tiger saw a man. Those lyrics are so... Like, number one, apparently he didn't even write or sing those songs. But the lyrics are so, like... When you find out the whole story, the lyrics are so empty and meaningless and just you know it totally encapsulates the complete delusion of this tiger king i saw tiger now i understand i saw a tiger and the tiger saw a man (laughs) that like speaks to this idea of he had this epiphany this awakening, oh my God, you know?
1: You know, I can guarantee God damn you the first time I saw a tiger. I love the motherfucker.
0: He's like staring at this tiger. He has this epiphany. Like he, saw, he sees a tiger. Now he understands. He sees the tiger and the tiger saw a man. This give and take, this respect and awe for nature and the beauty of creation. When really, he was just like this fucking gay as a $3 bill, gun-toting, mullet-having redneck at a fucking roadside zoo. You know, peddling these fucking garbage zoo tours of these fucking like decrepit, mangy, fucking on death's doorstep. Fucking caged wild animals. It's a goddamn shit show. More of that to come. So, if you are new to the show, Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of experience. Diploma in theater arts. Thespian to the bone, ladies and gentlemen. And damn proud of it. Um, you know, here we are, pandemic. You know? Here we are, day whatever the fuck, seems like an eternity at this point, but here we are in the midst of a pandemic and, you know, can't tell you, can't tell you that much is really going on with me, you know, um, you know, just hanging in there like everybody else, reflecting on my career, what I'd like to see happen moving forward but you know it ha- it has been slow moving um but you know that's the roll of the dice i think we're all dealing with it but um in terms of flattening the curve um i've been flattening the curve uh in other areas um the battle of the bulge mm-hmm. the battle of the bulge man like uh, i was putting on them pounds um towards the end of 2019 i don't know i was just getting out of hand with the gummy bears the fucking chocolate bars you know i was just stuffing myself silly and you know i i lately have been flattening the curve yeah going for runs you know jogging skipping rope cutting back on sugar you know no more gummy bears no more fucking chocolate bars no more fucking twinkies nothing you know clean living And eating right, exercising, and, you know, I'm noticing it. And that is very important across industry, whatever you're rocking with, um, whatever you do, and whatever you want to do. It's important, the body, maintaining your health, and especially in time of pandemic, you know, there's there's all sorts of great exercises you can do from the comfort of your home, you know. Push-ups, sit-ups, skipping rope. Go on YouTube. There's a plethora of um, information for you to find if you're looking for ways to keep active during this time. And uh, I'm feeling very good about that. That's a victory in the time of pandemic and uncertainty. It's a victory. I'm feeling pretty healthy. And in terms of the old acting career... I have my sights set on, uh, you know, returning, returning to previous, um, challenges, you know, sometimes you don't always get up the mountain. Sometimes you slip off, you, you fucking crash with the avalanche, you know, you back down at base camp, you know, skinned knees, skinned elbows, busted ass, you know. So, you know, sometimes you fall off the mountain and I am returning to um, some former challenges. That's how I feel looking forward. And, uh, you know, I have a little insight, little introspection. So during this time of, you know, pandemic, I have assessed some things that have happened um, in the old acting career. And moving forward, I think I'm going to, you know, try to scale that mountain in regards to those challenges. Try, try um, attacking uh, what I do from a recharged, introspective, clearly introspective kind of standpoint. And, um, you know, But hey, today I'm just thankful that I'm not fucking, you know, fucking shoving down the gummy bears, the fucking, you know, butterscotch fucking Twizzlers or whatever the fuck, you know, like I'm just happy I'm staying away from the cookies and the candy and flattening that curve and, you know, feeling,
2: feeling revitalized.
0: And that is very relatable across industry, whatever you're doing, you know, you know, keep fit. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. I am also an alcoholic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Alcoholic, folks. Three plus years of continuous consecutive sobriety. Now, I live in downtown Toronto, and there's a colorful cast of characters wandering the streets. And, uh, you know, like any big city... There are some down-and-out types. And I've definitely been there in previous incarnations of my life. I've lived in men's shelters. I was a daily drinker, drinking in public, drunk around the clock. And in my neighborhood, uh, there's there's some shady characters, colorful characters. And, you know, as I sit here recording... From time to time, I can hear them walking past the window, you know.
2: <laughs> you know, fuck, buddy, yo, yo what's going on? Uh, you want a beer, bud? <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, fucking, oh, fuck, you know, so I, w- I went over to see uh, Jeff the other day, and, you know, fuck, you know, I was like, ah, fuck that. blah, blah, blah.
0: You know, the ego, the overinflated fucking ego that a lot of these people have where it's like, they think that, I don't know what they think, but it's the idea that when you're drunk and intoxicated, it is truly antisocial behavior,
2: you know? They're talking and talking and <laughs> it's like,
0: you're not having a conversation. You're not, to, you're not talking to somebody at that point. You're talking at somebody.
2: <laughs> yeah you don't know, fuck buddy you know, you know I was going over here doing this doing that
0: <laughs> dude like I live on the fifth floor I'm five stories in the air how the fuck am I hearing people's conversations five stories below me they're not they're not communicating they're like it's like one force meeting an opposing force it's just these fucking drunks babbling at each other babble on babble on all these motherfuckers do is just babble on
2: <laughs> oh, fuck, man. You know, I was smoking a joint the other day. And I was drinking. It's
0: complete nonsense. You know, the addict, the alcoholic, what spews out of their mouth is usually loud, obnoxious, and pointless. And I've been there. I've been there plenty of times in my self-aggrandizing, inflated, egotistical um, sense of self When I was still drinking and smoking that ganja. You know what I mean? And thankfully today, I have the clarity, the peace of mind, the recovery to, you know, understand the humility of, hey, I ain't perfect. And I make mistakes. And I'm sure I rub certain people the wrong way. But at the end of the day... Um, I believe in live and let live. I ain't trying to go into nobody's domain. I ain't trying to draw no attention. I ain't out there trying to make waves and talk and blah, blah, blah. I'm pretty aware of what I say. And I'm pretty aware of what my actions mean as a civilian in society. You know? And I think... My higher power for that realization today. Because it's a sad state of being when you're like, for example, these men I was talking about. Like 50 plus years old, babbling on, babbling on, talking on, giddy, giggling, chuckling. When it's like, what the fuck are you giggling, babbling, talking about? You're a street drunk, 50 plus years of age, not a penny in the bank, no teeth, drunk in public laughing it up and it's a sad look you know sometimes when you read literature on alcoholism you know it's like as recovering alcoholics we pray for the afflicted alcoholic out there still struggling they are unable to be honest with themselves they're unable to be honest and take a look in the mirror and be like yo This ain't a good look. And through 12-step recovery, 12-step recovery, um, that's where I learned how to have some humility and some self-reflection and accountability. And if you're out there during this time of pandemic and you're looking for a change, now's a good time to start. Meetings, you know, 12-step recovery meetings, they're on hiatus for the moment, but there are many streaming services like Zoom, for example. You can catch a meeting on Zoom. You can always catch information on YouTube, on the internet, and um, I highly suggest it. And what 12-step recovery is is you know, basically group therapy. These are meetings that you can attend. Um, of your own will, of your own timetable. You get to share on the issues pertaining to your alcoholism. Then you get to listen. You get to hear from others. And in that process, you come out of your isolation and you become involved in society in a meaningful way because alcoholism is very isolating, self absorbed, self centered, you know, obnoxious behavior. And through these meetings, um, day by day, your sobriety adds up. Then one day you find yourself in a new life. And, you know, you can look back and at the times when you were very unaware of, you know, unaware of the, just the overall delusion that we alcoholics only know so well, you know, you will be able to look back and realize the delusion of the time in which you were drinking and, you know, be very happy, grounded, and fortunate in the new day. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramchuran, alcoholic. I am also a janitor. Yeah, I'm talking mop buckets, slot buckets, toilets, tampons, urinals, urinal cakes, parking garages, um, garbage bins, recycled bins, organic waste bins, the whole kit and caboodle, ladies and gentlemen. God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. God made dirt and dirt bust your ass. I'm a motherfucking janitor. Yup. I push a little mop bucket. I dip the mop in the mop water. Then I mop the floor. You know, push a garbage trolley. You know, I'm vacuuming, washing windows. You know, plunging a toilet.
1: You boom, ba, clock, you You
0: know, janitor, baby. And during this time of pandemic, we are considered essential employees. But like all industry, we do, um, we're taking a beating, you know, we're getting our ass bit during this whole COVID-19, uh, fiasco pandemic. And yo, um, what's going on with me and my employment at the moment? Well, number one, I'm very fortunate to be a janitor because as I mentioned, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And idle hands are the devil's playground. (laughs) Idle hands are the devil's playground, you know? So when you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, twiddly d, that's when all the negative thoughts, the stupidity can creep up. So having a nine-to-five keeps me focused, earning an income. And number two, um, being a janitor facilitates my performing as an actor, you know? You got to, um, you know, it's a salesmanship, you know? I would say performing is 50%. Like, I mean, ideally, performing should be 100% talent, right? But in reality, it's more like, I don't know, 50% talent, 50% salesmanship. You got to get the gig. The gig ain't coming to you, you know? So, you know, there's a big salesmanship aspect to the performing world. And that's where having some steady income helps. Helps a motherfucker like me because, yo, I got to bang it out for myself, you know? So there's the gratitude that I have in being a janitor. But my ass is getting bitten, you know? It's a cock-beaten world, 2020. Yo, it's a molesting. Like I'm telling you, like this 2020 COVID-19 horseshit, it's fucking up the world, son. On on an academic... (laughs) on academic, on a pandemic economic level. You know, we're getting a fucking beating, And yo, I'm feeling it as a janitor. Um, Some potential layoffs are coming around the corner in uh, my workplace. And hey, you know, uh, I'm just grateful for the race. I'm grateful for the run that I've had. I really don't know where I sit in the pecking order of um, this layoff. But I can tell you one thing. I practice what I preach. I've spoken many times about, you know, being fearless, you know, being responsible and accountable. So come what may, you know, sunshine, downpour, avalanche, blizzard, you know, tropical thunder. I don't give a fuck what it is, you know. I'm going to move forward to the new day and... Um, I got that faith. I got that funk. So I um, ain't going to sweat it. And if you're in my position where it's like, you know, potentially, potentially facing a layoff or, you know, you know, you're working a job in order to get to your career, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I'm a very, like, before all is said and done, There's something that I really want to, at some point in my career, speak on, perform on, or present in regards to the work in person. Because, like, you know, I have a lot of experience at work, so to speak. Prior to this whole uh, janitorial hustle, prior to my bid as a janitor, I was a temporary worker, temporary laborer for like six years in the pursuit of my performing goal, dream. So I would work all these little gigs as a temporary laborer. So what I'm saying is basically through my temporary labor, through all the jobs that I've done in order to keep a clear mind as a performer, I've literally worked hundreds of jobs. Literally, I've been on hundreds of job sites in my pursuit of being uh, a career person, a, uh, you know, a successful performer. And when I say hundreds of jobs, I mean, literally, as a temporary worker, you can work, you know, 52 weeks a year and every day can be a different job site. One day, you're sent to the mall to count inventory at a shoe store. The next day, you're sent to a construction site to sweep up shit. The next day, you're sent to some fucking, you know, garbage dump to shovel shit. Like, you know, so day by day, those job sites add up. That experience adds up. So I've literally worked hundreds of jobs. I've been on hundreds of job sites in the pursuit of my career. So... At some point I want to talk about this and present this. There's something more that I want to be, I want to say on the whole work in person situation, but where, where I'm sitting right now during pandemic is like, you know what? I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it as a blessing as well. Should I get laid off, you know? Um, it will set me up for something new. Um, this is not a permanent fix. You know, it's a job. It's a job. There's a vast difference between working a job and working your career. And, you know, I'm grateful for my job as a janitor. But at the end of the day, that's why I'm a janitor. It ain't built to last. You know, I can just wash my fucking hands of it at any time. I don't give a boom clot blood-clot fuck. And, um, you know... The message being, in this time of uncertainty, coronavirus, COVID-19, all we need to do is stick to our guns, you know, believe in a better day, and move forward towards it. Move forward. And, you know, I'm right in there with y'all, if any of you are out there and feeling at odds uncertain yo. that pendulum that pendulum is swinging over my fucking neck as well and um we're gonna make it hallelujah so there you have it folks jonathan ramcharan janitor and last of all i am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire 11 years of service um as i mentioned um pandemic it's been a real ball buster and you know Comedians all around the world, we're we're feeling that crunch. Um, From the fucking touring arena acts, the top build motherfuckers, to the lowest of the low. The fucking down and out, scrounging, scrimping, open mic dwelling fucking bozos. Like we're all eating a shit sandwich on this one. Um, Live performance. It's more or less going to be one of those career fields that is last To return to this recovering economy. The recovering economy post-COVID-19. So, you know, there ain't no real clear sense of what's happening with that. But thank God for podcasts, you know. Here I am on a beautiful, sunny Saturday morning, you know. Um, Saturday afternoon now, actually. And, uh, you know... I'm glad to have this. So fortunate to have this. And I'm feeling fun. I'm feeling funky. I'm feeling great. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, flattening the curve, you know, the battle of the bulge. Mm-hmm. The little fucking belly that I was growing, um, you know. It, yeah, it's a belly. It's like on the border of, it's, a, it's like a little bit of a belly on the border of a gut, you know. Cause like a gut is a gut, you know. Gut just, boop, boop, boop. A gut just like plops out. But a belly kind of like you know hovers in midair a little bit, kind of like gelatin, you know, like that little quivering, like you know when you poke Jello and it's just like, you know, gives that little twink, that little t- that little twinge when you poke a bowl of Jello, you know. Kind of jiggles, you know. So like I got a belly on the border of a fucking gut. And it all came about because um, in 2019, I was producing my own stand-up comedy shows, um, Our Righteous Mike. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but I was actually kind of stressful. I was trying to book comedians. I was dealing with a lot of different attitudes. I was dealing with a lot of different personalities. I was dealing with venues. I was dealing with, you know, financing the whole thing, trying to get attention, trying to get audience members. It was like a upstart business, you know? It was like a independent business I was basically trying to run. And, you know, there was a lot of times when I was feeling, you know, a little stressed. And what I did was I was turning to that fucking sugar. I was turning to that demon, you know? I was eating gummy bears, fucking chocolate bars, nibs. You know, licorice. I love all that shit, right? So I was just mound down on it. And, you know, not exactly proud of it. But I put on like 13 pounds. But luckily, I was still working out. So I never really lost a... I didn't really lose the beat. Like, I was still working out physical. So there was never really like a... I didn't have to really face that whole like reemergence back into the gym. Back into the workout cycle. Like, I was still working out. But I was just like eating like a fucking, you know, Halloween patient, you know? I was just on that fucking candy tip. And that was from the stress of juggling a show. And that is something that is, you know, very valuable to learn as a independent uh, performer and which is transferable across industry. I'm sure, um, you know, small business or anybody banging it out there in the world of commerce, you know, in the marketplace. Stress can come and we have to deal with it in the most healthy way possible. And when you're feeling stress, you know, there ain't no point in shoveling down the gummy bears, chain smoking cigarettes, drinking, smoking dope. It's like, Be rested, be focused, accountable, and meet these obstacles with the freshness and sound mind of one who's rocking with it, you know? And that's the takeaway that I definitely learned. And that's only going to make me better as I um, progress, you know? Because, you know, it was kind of new to me, producing stand-up comedy shows. Like, I'd hosted a bunch of shows. I'd, I've I've done emceeing, you know, on a semi-pro level as well, you know, in clubs and shit. My experience was good, but like, there was always more to learn and I never really had the full responsibility of producing a show. And that's something I learned. It's like, you know you can't let the stress really get to you you have to be able to deal with it on a healthy level and uh, yo that's a that's relatable across industry I'm very glad I learned that and you know you better watch your fucking ass COVID-19 because once this fucking shit is done you know I'm coming I'm coming for you motherfuckers right and um, I'm feeling very you know I'm feeling very just even, you know? I don't feel that's, I don't feel particularly anything, you know? Um, Or am I just lying to myself? (laughs) This whole podcast is about feelings. So um, I feel a lot, but I don't let it rock with my actual actions, you know? Strictly business. You know, like the Godfather said, you know. It ain't personal. It's business. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian. And those are the four things that sum me up at the moment. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Yeah. Ooh. I can't wait to the times when, like... We won't be suffering this COVID-19 news cycle. I don't even know who I am anymore. Do you? Like, I can't remember the post or the the pre-COVID-19 Jonathan. I don't know who he was, you know? I'm just like this person quarantined on my days off and like, you know, uh, uh. you know, you you walk through the streets, you got to stay two meters apart from every fucking person you see can't look a woman in the eye it's like wouldn't it be nice to get laid sometime like any of y'all single motherfuckers out there like feeling this crunch that i'm feeling it's just like there ain't no hope for like what even i can't even hold hands with a woman let alone you know you know venture into the uh forbidden fruits of uh, her labors you know so it's like yo not that I would do that anyways, you know what I mean? Like I'm pretty single minded in my mission as a podcaster, comedian, actor in this day and age, but it's just like everything's off the table. It's like a complete eclipse. COVID 19 coronavirus. Up our motherfucking ass. Here's the latest stat Here's the latest stats on um pardon moi. Here is the latest stats from wikipedia.com. Worldwide stats COVID 19. Confirmed cases. There are 2,256,844 confirmed cases worldwide COVID 19. There are 571,000. 851 recovered cases of COVID-19 worldwide. And there are 154,350 deaths confirmed worldwide. So those are the stats on COVID-19 at the moment. Um, For some reason or maybe it is a good reason, or I don't know, man. Maybe it's that I'm a Western living motherfucker. I live in Toronto, Canada. So, you know, I'm in the Western world. Um, It seems like the the loudest voice in this whole saga of COVID-19 is, okay, let me tell you something. Chinese virus, okay? Kung flu, fake news, all right? Okay. Let me tell you something about the uh, health that we're doing here in the United States. It's the best health that there's ever been. You're gonna be the healthiest people that we've ever had. Okay. It's very important. It's very important. That's how he like. Um, that's how he addendums everything he says. You know, he'll just say something. You know, he'll just say something in the most deadpan ma- manner. You know. We are going to be the most healthiest people that you've ever seen. Okay. We have the best healthcare. Okay. That's very important. It's very important. Just because you say it's very important <laughs> doesn't like add any belief behind the fucking nonsense you say. <sighs> uh, he's a swarmy fuck for sure. I don't believe a damn word that comes out his mouth. But sometimes he does make a lot of sense. This Donald Trump. He's like the loudest voice in this whole COVID-19 saga. He's gunning for the, you know, reopening of, um, you know, the American economy. Um, He's getting a lot of criticism for like um, mishandling the whole situation, downplaying the whole situation. You know, always in conflict, always in litigation with somebody, you know. He's gunning for the head of the uh, WHO, World Health Organization. You know, he's looking for the outing, the ousting of the chief director of WHO, World Health Organization, over some fucking dumb nonsense, over some stupid shit, over some fucking tweets. I don't even know what the fuck to... Well, I could. Actually, I do have an article here. I'm going to read about that. But, you know... I guess it's the fact of um, the society that you know, uh, well I guess World Health Organization is a fucking huge agency. It's the World Health Organization. So that's what's drawing a lot of attention to this story. Um, So this is from aljazeera.com aljazeera.com Backing Trump U.S. Republicans call for WHO chief to resign. Okay? Kung flu, fake news. Pack your bags. Get out of here. Okay? It's very important. Republican United States lawmakers called on President Donald Trump on Thursday to withhold payments to the World Health Organization, WHO, until its Director General resigns backing Trump's criticism of the agency's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. 17 of Trump's fellow Republicans on the House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee wrote a letter to Trump supporting his announcement this week that he was withholding funding for the WHO and saying he should, and saying he should condition the resumption of contributions on the resignation of Director General Tidros. Adename Gibrosos I don't fucking know. But basically the Director General of Who? Tidras adhanom Gibreus Trump drew immediate condemnation on Tuesday from many world leaders and health experts, as well as US Democrats by saying the by saying he would halt US funding of the Geneva-based WHO over its handling of the coronavirus pandemic. They said that the WHO may need reorganization, but that Trump should not try to force it in the middle of a crisis that has killed more than 142,000 people globally and devastated world economies. The U.S. president, who has reacted angrily to criticism of his own handling of the virus, Outbreak said the who had promoted china's disinformation okay about the coronavirus and been too lenient with Beijing in the early weeks of the crises in their letter, the House Republicans said they had lost face in tidros and blamed the who and China's Communist Party for the extent of the current global for the extent of the current global health crises, although they praised the Vital role the WHO plays around the world. At times, the WHO is the only organization working on the ground in the worst places on earth, and the U.S. should continue to support this important work, said the letter, composed under the direction of Representative Mike McCall, the committee's senior Republican. However, the letter said, it is imperative that we act swiftly to ensure the impartiality, transparency, and legitimacy of this valuable institution. Yeah, so they're gunning for the ousting of this um, WHO chief director, Tidros, Tedros, uh, Tidros, Tidros, blah, 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 crazy name, the director of WHO. And, you know, wow, man always a conflict with this motherfucker, Donald Trump. Like, prior to this whole pandemic, um, the story was World War 3 Iran-US tensions, Donald Trump unilaterally bombs Iran, killing General Soleimani, <speaking in Spanish> and, you know, incites this fucking conflict, basically. And... Never mind all that shit now. We're in pandemic, and during the pandemic, wow, he finds another way to be an asshole. OK, we're going to pull funding, OK? Very important. We're going to pull funding, OK, from the who. OK? Who are they to take our money?
1: You know? They're supporting Beijing, the Kung flu, the China virus?
2: No.
0: I don't know, man. the man is just like tasteless, tactless, and you know, yo, he just he just loves to litigate. he loves to fight, he loves a conflict, confrontation. So I don't know. I was so looking forward to never thinking about Donald Trump until like um, the November election in the us, but it's like he seems like he's center stage in a sense. You know, drawing all this criticism from the World Health Organization, you know, a lot of his actions in terms of economy, trade, loosening of restrictions, affects Canada, where I live. You know, the Canadian, the Can- the Canuck motherfuckers, all of us, you know, we're somehow tied to the U.S. as well. So it's like, you know, there is a sort of, there is the reality of, um, you know, being aware of the cooperation between our neighbor as a Canadian. You know, we got to kind of pay attention in a sense, you know what I mean? But, you know, water off a duck's ass. Um, The only real thing that I'm kind I don't want to say I'm with him, Donald Trump, but there's like a laissez faire, kind of lackadaisical, kind of whole hum drawl, kind of criticism people are taking with his handling of the situation. You know, ah, it's no big deal. Ah, it's no big deal. Okay, whatever. Ah, okay, whatever. Like, just the way he's been handling it. I, I, I'm kind of with them in a sense. A lot of this whole situation has seemed to be just pure hysteria, panic in the, in the face of a pandemic. Uh, I haven't seen anything overwhelmingly ha- happen. You know, like, yes, people have been catching it. The coronavirus, COVID-19. All the information is pretty much the same as it's ever been since, like, it really started getting some traction, like, in February. You know, it's been around, apparently, since, like, November 2019. But it's really started to catch, like, kind of international attention momentum spreading. Like, I guess, in February, January, February. That's when it really started kind of picking up on the global pandemic level. But not much has really changed. I don't... I don't really see it. Maybe I'm just uninformed, which I am definitely to to an extent. I'm just a civilian like anybody. But like I have eyes. I use them. I read newspapers. I read the statistics. You know, I look around the world. I look around the world, but like, you know, I look out my window, my society, what I live in, what I see. I see people working. I see fairly low numbers in terms of a virus that's been around for like six months that's supposed to be sweeping fear and panic over the globe. It's only really reached a confirmed 2.25 million people in the face of like 7.8 billion people on the planet. You know, over a 6 months period, is that really that many people? Um, everybody's taking precautions, washing their hands, wearing masks. I mean, it's bound to loosen up at some point. The curve is bound to flatten at some point. So, like, on, on some level, I do kind of agree with Trump's kind of chill approach to it but is it the best approach to take as a leader and it's definitely not the best thing to do during these times to you know just be so miserly and petty pulling funding from the who the world health organization and just acting like a fucking like tactless fucking bully basically Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think of this, um, you know, situation with Trump in regards to the World Health Organization? You know, has the World Health Organization truly um, done? Um, is, the, is the World Health Organization mishandled? Are they kind of mishandling the situation? Should there be a resignation of the chief director of The Who? You know, what, what's going on? You do hit me up, please. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com if you have any sentiment regarding that. Yeah. Here's a funny little tidbit. Quick little story, you know. Even in the face of a pandemic, you can never stop the greed of humanity. There's always a motherfucker out there trying to turn a lousy buck in the face of, you know, crises. <clears throat> Peep this. This is from ctvnews.ca. Montreal attorneys try to trademark COVID nineteen. <clears throat> Bloodthirsty leases, leeches, fucking pandemic chasing, ambulance chasing, fucking vultures. Check this. Montreal. Two Montreal lawyers have applied to register the term COVID-19 as a trademark, as a trademark, a bid that experts say is unlikely to succeed. Mariam Ammer and Giovanni Di Sua filed applications on March 25th to register the name of the disease caused by the novel coronavirus as well as the terms Prevention and Care COVID-19 according to the trademark database of the Canadian Intellectual Property Office. The lawyers, who don't appear on the federal government's database of trademark attorneys, said in their request that the use of the term would be linked to vaccines. Yeah, that's where the money's at. They did not respond to They did not respond to interview requests, but colleagues specializing in this area of law said they don't understand why someone would try to register the disease's name. Oh, really? I thought lawyers were supposed to be all-knowing, omnipotent, um, wise-ass, smart-ass, smart-aleck, fucking, you know, intellectual types. Don't take a fucking genius. Why would a lawyer try to trademark the term COVID-19? I don't know. Money? Vaccines? Greed? Overinflated egos? Evil? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But of course, lawyers, they know how to play the system, right? I plead the fifth. If I was an American. But anyway. These trademarks will probably never be registered in Canada, said David Lipkis, a trademark attorney with Toronto-based Kestenberg Siegel Lipkis. That's the uh, the firm, I guess. Toronto-based Kestenberg Seagull Lipkis. Lipkis said it usually takes two years before a decision is made, a time frame which could be extended due to the pandemic. A trademark must pass several tests before being registered, including whether the term is descriptive or distinctive, he said. Trying to register COVID-19. <coughs> as a brand, would be equivalent to registering cancer or diabetes. Yeah, no shit, you know. Alan Masick, another Toronto lawyer, said he isn't surprised to see someone try to register COVID-19 as a trademark. We often see such a wave when there is something new in the news and people are talking about it, he said. Massick, said trademarks are generally accepted for a coined term or combination of words that would include COVID but should then be distinct from the name of the virus itself. That's very important. The two lawyers aren't alone. On April 7th, Nova Scotia medical testing company MedMira applied to register the trademark Real COVID-19 for a rapid serological test that would detect antibodies made to fight the novel coronavirus. The American Patent and and Trademark Agency has also been seeing an increase in COVID-related application, according to Lipkiss. Yeah, so there's these dirtbag diabolical douchebags out there just trying to profit off a motherfucker's death, you know? I'm looking out the window right now. I see lineups of people trying to scour and scuffle and scramble their way into a fucking... um, Grocery store, you know, I look out my window, there's a grocery store down the street. I see people trying to scramble and scrounge their way in there, you know, fighting for their lives. (laughs) I need toilet paper. I need toilet paper. Ah, Toilet paper. You know, fighting for cans of beans and shit. And these are motherfuckers out there. There's motherfuckers out there like trying to patent these people's fear. Isn't that ugly? Ugly. Yeah, but hey, you know, this shall soon pass, or this shall pass, whatever the biblical saying is, thou too shall pass, or was that the fucking Lord of the Rings? Thou shall not pass! Remember fucking um, Family Guy?
1: Thou shall not pass! Thou shall not pass! Hey there, muscly arms, why the long face?
0: You know, but this too shall pass, you know, so... Hmm, enough of that for now. Let's get into, uh, let's get into the uh, talk of the internet. You know, the fucking toast of the COVID-19 crisis, binge watching, fucking couch surfing, lackadaisical fucking couch potato, fucking drones that we've all turned into. You know what time it is. Ow! Tiger King. I gotta hand it. I gotta hand it to. Um, I got some notes here. I gotta hand it to the director Eric Good. Good on you, son. Good job. This documentary, this docu series. It's fucking great. Uh, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! I don't even know if you can claim a spoiler alert on Tiger King because if you haven't seen it, yo, like you ain't with it. Like this show. <laughs> It's the perfect show in the time of pandemic. Now, granted, there's hard subject matter and it feels strange saying that it's a great show because it's a, it revolves around like animal rights, cruelty, like the breeding of large cats, that ugly underbelly uh, industry where people are breeding wild animals in particular large cats to be penned up and enclosed in zoos you know to be showcased for the fucking mcdonald's eating fucking xxxl wearing fucking public but you know i guess the animal people counter that with well there is no longer a um wilderness, so to speak, so in order to preserve the species, they have to breed. They have to breed these animals, but it's like it's there's the ethical question, obviously, like are these animals happy is this not all is this all not just a ploy to make money so those are some of the things that are going on in the docuseries um, Tiger King, revolving around,
1: My name's Joe Exotic, all right? I'm a gun-toting, mullet-having, gays a $3 bill, redneck, motherfucker. And if you pee to people and animal rights, motherfuckers, come on my property, I'm going to put a cap in your ass, motherfucker. All right? And if you come back, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. I saw Tiger, now understand. I saw a tiger, and the tiger saw a man.
0: This fucking gay is a $3 bill, self-proclaimed redneck, mullet-having, Tiger King. <sighs> Yo, the man just encompasses a wacky array of personalities and situations Around his whole zookeeping kingdom, so to speak. So, you know, I'm just going to go through some of the characters here, or some of the players. First of all, the director, again, Eric Good. <laughs> Eric Good and crew, hats off to you. Love the docuseries. Very informative, well shot, moved very well, entertaining. Very balanced, you know. You hear a lot of talk on the internet. What's real, what's not real. I, I felt like it was very balanced. It felt very truthful. Um, Rick Kirkman. Rick Kirkham. That grisly motherfucker who opens it up. You know, he's smoking
2: a cigarette.
0: <sighs> I'll, <clears throat> well, I'll tell you about, uh, you know, Joe. Okay, Joe Exotic, Uh, you know. You know, he, he made for marvelous re- re- reality TV. And... <laughs> This this curmudgeoned old fuck uh Rick Kirkham. He was like a reporter who um kind of coined the term Tiger King. He he shot a lot of video for Joe Exotics, Joe Exotic TV. He shot like footage for Joe Exotic Tiger King. And you know, part of the documentary is um, you know shown through, um maybe not shown through, but there's a lot of the documentary. Um a lot you know, I mean I guess it's like I guess it's like an omnipotent all it's a very like I said, it's very um balanced. So it's not really shot through anybody's eyes in particular. But you know, there's a lot of information in the documentary based on the interviews of Rick Kirkham. He had spent a lot of time at the zoo he had shot film for um, Joe Exotic's TV, Joe Exotic's online television show, web series or whatever. And, um, you know, whew, this Rick Kirkham character himself, um, very interesting. I guess he's like a reporter, videographer, um, very interesting character he had some insight into the whole world of Joe exotic having spent time with him and if you check out on YouTube Rick Kirkham, he has a channel and he has a he has a um a documentary he made on himself called TV Junkie yeah TV junkie I believe it came out in 07 2006 2007. TV Junkie. It's a documentary that he, I guess he kind of produced. It's from all his footage. Accumulative footage over his life. Over a period of time. Like over an eight year period. um, Where he was like he was a junkie. He was like smoking crack. Injecting crack cocaine. And his career as a television reporter with inside edition it was like coming a, coming apart at the seam going off the rails he's like a young father he, you know he just you know it, it, it chronicles his life as a reporter in like in video journals video, video diaries and it's just heartbreaking it shows the side of like addiction drug addiction You know, it shows like somebody who, you know, obviously was very high functioning. He's in the world of show business on a very successful level. He's reporting on, you know, interesting news stories, speaking and interviewing interesting people traveling around the world. But yet he's fucking banging, fucking banging, fucking crack cocaine into his arm, smoking crack. Um, You know, all these horrible home, I mean tragic home video um, diaries where he's like, you know, fighting with his wife, argument, arguing with his wife, his, his little fucking children are involved in it. At one point, the cops come to arrest him and, you know, he had just like laid his hands on his wife. Like apparently, she struck him with a belt. Like apparently, she hit him with a belt and it got him in the eye, right? He's like, ah, fuck. So I guess he like shoved her in retaliation it was like just uh, i don't really know the ins and outs of it but anyways there was some sort of domestic dispute and the cops were coming and the camera was rolling and it's on his little fucking two-year-old baby little boy right He's like,
1: what'd you do to my mama what'd you do to my mama what'd you do to my mama
0: <laughs> it's like you've seen like a baby crying and like have you ever seen a two-year-old testify like the two-year-old was testifying
1: what'd you do to my mama what'd you do to my mama you, <laughs> you did? he's
0: crying and coming up it was like fucking gut-wrenching but anyways there's the value of um the value in um that documentary you know um TV junkie, Rick Kirkham, you know, long, illustrious career as a television reporter. He lends credence to this, Tiger King, you know, his perspective, what he saw, what he videoed this Joe Exotic character doing, you know,
1: Whew, you know, then you got, um, you know, Joe Exotic himself, you know. Hi there, my name's I'm gay Gay's a $3 bill, mullet-having, Gun Redneck. And
0: you know, the documentary does a great job of like going back into his life and showing how he came up as like, you know, a sexually insecure young man in like the 70s or whatever, and and how he like, you know, came to be this tiger king um you know he was a magician at one point and just you know just how he used the theater the theatrics of his over the top flamboyant gun-toting redneck gay character and the majesty of all these these exotic animals and how he spun that how he turned a couple of acres into like this thriving, you know, thriving, I mean, apparently they were doing something like hundreds of thousands of dollars of business, you know, multi-million dollars, or maybe not multi, but like, we're talking a legit, like a legit money maker. zoo turned this fucking little fucking decrepit couple acres into a kingdom
1: for Gel Exotic, Tiger King, and...
0: You know, that's what the, obviously, as you know, if you've seen it, that's what the film's about. It's just like the, the craziness, surreal nature of this character, Joe, Joe Exotic. And, you know, he's also like a country star. I saw a Tiger. He's singing these fucking country songs that, like, apparently he didn't do. Like, apparently, like, um, I mean, not even apparently. It's been pretty much confirmed. Like, this band, like, it was called, like, the Something Clinton band. Like, they sang all the songs and, you know, he he didn't write or sing the songs, you know. It's just, there's a larger than life character that spun, spun the public's interest in big cats and trash television. Like, spun it into an empire. And how he played people like pawns, you know what I mean? Like, he had all these employees, you know, like in the documentary, there was like John Renke, um... Eric Cowie, Saf Safferty, these some of his like, you know, employees that he got off of Craigslist. And you know, Craigslist, the online classified, he would just get these down and out troubled people. Sometimes he'd even roll up to a bus station and just grab some meth head straight off a drug drug binge and
1: just be like, Are hey, you looking for a job? You want to flip burgers at my fucking GW Zoo barn grill? Well, then come on with Joe Exotic. I'm going to find you a
0: job. And like, he'd find these destitute, fucking depraved people and just use them for what they're worth. Got them working like 16 hour days, 12 hour days, low pay, living in these fucking shanty, shanty, fucking dingy trailer, tent, get up, fucking. Horrible accommodation, working for peanuts, and just, just under his crazy spell. And you know, I feel for these characters, you know, a lot of these characters. John Renke lost both of his uh legs in a tragic zip line accident. <laughs> he wears these like you know, he looks like fucking what's his fucking face? Um that fucking Pistorius motherfucker. That fucking South, South African Blade Runner. You know, he looks like his father. <laughs> those fucking legs. And, you know, Eric Cowie's got that fucking scraggly hair. That fucking, you know, Tales from the Crypt Keeper kind of look to him. Then Saf safrity He, uh, you know, he tragically lost his arm. You know, I guess he stuck his arm in the the tiger pen and the tiger like ripped it apart. And, you know, I don't really want to go so hard on these people because it's like, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a janitor. I've worked so many random jobs. I've gotten jobs off of Craigslist. And these are just people trying to make a living rightfully or wrongfully, like however you sit on the fence when it comes to animal rights, but they're working at this zoo. And I just see the tragedy in their life because it's like I couldn't imagine being under the spell of that dude. You know what I mean? And I used to work at a zoo, (laughs) by the way. When I was a young actor, one of my summer gigs was like I was like a zoo, a groundskeeper at a zoo. i just drive around in a little golf buggy sweeping up peanut shells and garbage wrappers. I remember my first day on the job. Um, one of the ladies, she's like, Jonathan, you gotta go into the men's washroom. There's an accident. I'm like, an accident? I go into the men's washroom. There's a big shit stain. A big turtle log. Clean dismount. Not a smear. Not a smatter. Not a splatter. Just this fucking pristine shit log. Just bloop. Dripped out of some mentally challenged uh, child's ass. I guess he just took his pants off and shit on the floor. They sent me in there to clean it up, right? And eh, no big deal. I put on the mask, the rubber gloves. Wah! Go and I pick it up, flush it down the toilet, you know? I come out of the men's room and, uh, you know, my supervisor, she's looking at me. You're going to fit in real good around here, boy. <laughs> so yeah, that's zoo folk for you. That's zoo people. And everybody's missing digits and limbs. Everybody's missing something at a zoo. One of the guys who operated the kids rides, the kitty park, there's a bunch of like coin-operated rides. One of the guys that worked at my zoo, he was lo- he lost a middle finger, right? So his hand looked like that.
2: He had like this like real, you know,
0: gibbled hand. Apparently he was like,
2: one day, you know what? One day I'm fixing the zoo. Merry-go-round and I'm up there and I'm trying to fix the Mario go round and my hand got stuck in the gears and
0: I was like looking at this person I'm like where did they find this person? You're that dumb that you stuck your hand in the middle of moving machinery? You know? And he's still working there all
2: gibbled. I'm a, you know, I'm the, I'm the fucking rides operator at the Edmonton Zoo. You know, this was in Edmonton,
0: Canada where where I was working. So it's like, got so many fucked up fucking people that work at zoos and they're under such strange pressures of life that you know you can't help but feel for them and you know and how they got found by Joe Exotic and in this whole weird world the documentary does an amazing job of just showing them in action feeding tigers feeding fucking bears, monkeys, like it's unreal, you know what I mean? And then you got like the grizzly dirty, grubby shady business partners of Jill Exotic, you know Jeff Lowe um, who's the other ones? James Garrettson and the henchman you know, Alan Glover you know, like where, where like, it's, it's so that's what's so funny about crime in general. You know, sometimes you look and you see a person commit crime, like Joe Exotic. I mean, at this point, spoiler alert, you know, it's kind of old news, but he has been incarcerated. Um, some of his charges are on animal cruelty, you know, shooting, killing, unlawfully disposing of these people. Big animals, um, you know, we look at it and we go, oh, how could a person do that? You know, whenever we look at crime, how could a person do that? Look at where this evil came from, you know, where it's like, what I always find more fascinating is like the, the, the out, the outer region, the outer circle of like all these fucking weirdos that come into his like orbit that come into people's orbit, you know? Like, where do you find these like-minded sociopaths? Jeff Lowe, con Man extraordinaire, fucking James Gerritsen? That guy's a shady, lined dirtbag. I mean, it don't take a genius to tell. Like, there's more than what meets the eye with these characters. And then the henchman, Alan Glover, the man that, gel exotic, apparently paid $3,000 to carry a hit out on. Here we go, spoiler alert, or just talking about it, like what this whole thing revolves around, this whole docu-series, is um, Joe Exotic's you know, relationship and dealings with Carol Baskin. This lady from Big Cat Rescue, she like hosts, she runs a animal sanctuary for big cats. And she's a loud voice, and advocate in the world of, um, you know, big cat breeding. She's trying to put an end to it. She's a shady character herself, you know. She allegedly, you know, murdered her first husband for his millions, for his empire. She murdered her first husband, apparently. Joe Exotic's going tit-for-tat with her, you know, and that's really like the cornerstone of what this whole documentary's docu-serie, docu-series is about. And, oh, if you haven't seen it, you gotta go see it. Tiger King, yes. And Doc Bhagavan Antle, you know, he's another one of these crazy big cat people, you know. He's worked with Hollywood, doing major movies as a consultant for animals, you know, when they have a chimp, they have a lion in a movie. You know, he's been like a handler for Hollywood. He runs his own big, he runs his own zoo. And, you know, that's what this series is about. Big cats, big inflated personalities in that whole grimy underworld. And it's soaked and dripping with mystique, mystery, you know, hired hits, murder, um, shady dealings in regards in regards to the cat industry, you know. And there's also like a cult, a cult-like aspect to it because, you know, what is so sensational about this story is the fact that these are striving, indus- I mean... Thriving industries. There is this hunger for the general public to have their photo taken with a large animal. To go see an animal in a zoo. To own an animal. You could sell a baby tiger for like two grand. According to Joe Exotic, you could sell a baby tiger for like two grand. And, you know, the breeding of these animals, it's just like, They're being overbred, they're being caged in these shanty fucking zoos, these roadside zoos. And it attracts so many people. The general public is hungry for it, you know? And the spell, the spell that all these characters, Joe Exotic, Carolyn Baskin, Doc Bhagavan Antle, the spell that they cast in the allure that they have to all these little simpletons, you know? Gel Exotic had a harem of, um, you know, uh, you know he, he had like a husband. He had like three husbands, you know, married to like three men at the same time. Doc Antle married to a bunch of women, different partners. All this cult-like mind control that they have on these people. Carol Baskin, too, with all her um, volunteers, volunteering to work on Christmas, to work 365 days a year for an animal sanctuary where she's making money. She ain't no dummy. You know, when you see this woman speak, she is pure con woman from the get-go. As soon as she opens her fucking mouth, it's just like she's just the same as these other idiots, you know? She tries to play the wholesome,
1: <laughs>
0: tries to play the whole wholesome card, but she's a con woman just like the rest of them. And yo, that's just my opinion, obviously. See it for yourself. I'm pretty sure you've already seen it. At this point, I'm kind of like last to the party. I'm sure, you know, this this thing came out a couple months ago or maybe a month ago or something. I don't know. Whenever Tiger King came out on Netflix, it kind of swept the internet. So I'm kind of last to the party on here telling you to check it out but um, whew, yeah it is so interesting and that is one of the things that I really find interesting about it is the cult-like mind control that these big cat people have over the people that come into their orbit because you wonder how these stories could go as far as they go well that's only through the willing The willingness of people to engage, do business, and put attention on this big cat industry. If there was no fucking demand for it, there would be no big cat industry. But there is. And people turn a blind eye to their ethics. Rick Kirkham, he spoke on that, you know. Rick Kirkham, the videographer, reporter, showcased in this docuseries. He talked on that. He's like, you know... You know, I, I I sold out my journalistic ethics. I sold out my journalistic ethics in pursuit of the story. He sold out his journalistic ethics. He claims, in the pursuit of this sensational story. You got all these people, just like, in the orbit. Of like, Carol Baskin, Joe Exotic, Doc Bag. Bagavan Antle in their orbit where it's like anybody with any common sense would stay clear of these people. Like, don't touch me with a 10-foot pole, motherfucker. Back the fuck up off me. Like, for example, one of the biggest cult stories as of late, a couple years ago, Nexium. Nexium. The sex cult run by Keith Raniere Yeah. Keith Raniere and the Nexium sex cult. That was a cult that was, you know, it stretched from Canada to the United States, maybe further. But I know it was like Canada, United States. It was a sex cult. And what it basically was, was Keith Raniere using the principles of um, various spiritual... um ideologies, you know, whether it be Buddhism, whether it be Krishna consciousness, whether it be just Christian doctrine. He would use all these spiritual ideologies in order to, you know, attract women, vulnerable women who um, wanted to be a part of the elite. It was like an elitist sort of cult. The selling point was be somebody in society, you know, stature, status, unlocked doors, you know, and people, a lot of women, I don't know about the men, I think it was mainly for women, but a lot of women, a lot of people anyways, they joined this cult, and they recruited people blinded by their own wants, blinded by their own desires. To the fact that, yo, this is a creepy, weird situation. What the fuck is this? You've joined a cult, but they're blinded by their own greed. So hey, they overlook this, they overlook that, they overlook this, they overlook that. Next thing you know, um, you know, they're forced into having sex with the leader of the fucking cult. They're getting branded, you know, like cattle. Tss. Mm. Mm. Tss. Mm getting branded like cattle, all from their own greed, blinded by what they want. And that's very much a dominant theme in Tiger King, you know? It's like you can't even believe how people would step foot into one of these people's lives, into the life of a Joe Exotic, like, How the fuck could you even go anywhere near a person like that? It's just such chaos. Don't take a genius to see that. But a lot of people are blinded by what they want. So, hey, this is great. And again, got to hand it to Eric Good, the docuseries uh, director. Eric Good, great, great piece of, um, you know, I could call it, what do you call it, edutain, edutaining the audience, education, entertainment. It's a great docu-series. It brings up the idea of, you know, animal rights, um, the pitfalls of fame, ego, cult mentality, murder, mystery. There's a lot there. And, um, you know, if you're looking for something, if you haven't heard of this, um, I hope I didn't really spoil anything. There's not much to be spoiled, I don't think. But um, anyways, if this is all new to you you, and you've been listening so far, I definitely recommend Tiger King.
1: I saw Tiger, now understand. I saw Tiger and a tiger. I'm Joe Exotic. Mullet-having, gun-carrying, redneck. And if you come on my property, any of y'all animal rights people, any of y'all PETA people, I'm gonna put a fucking cap in your ass. All right? Lickety-split. And if you come back, I'm gonna put a fucking bullet in your head. Okay? Where's my boyfriend? Where's my husband?
0: Yeah. Yes. Till next time, folks. It's your old chucker buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran Reporting live for duty on this magnificent... April 18th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. (sighs) Hold on to your fucking ass, ladies and gentlemen, you know. The plane shall soon land. We shall soon be off board. We shall soon be back to um, normalcy. This too shall pass, COVID-19 coronavirus. It's a bitch, it's a banger, and, you know, we just gotta keep rocking with it. Um, Tiger King. Definitely the king of the internet at the moment. Tiger King. Take a bite. (laughs) Take a bite into it. You'll enjoy it. You'll thank me later. If you have any questions, queries, or qualms about anything that you've heard on the show, do hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com much appreciated much anticipated do hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com I'm on iTunes I'm on Spotify I'm on YouTube I have a website where you can download the podcast that's jonathan ramcharancom yes jonathan ramcharancom many platforms many ways to connect with me if you're enjoying the show please do Share it with a friend, you know. Share it. Sharing's caring, you know. And it's definitely appreciated. Till next time, folks. You live it. You love it. You realize it. Aight? Peace.